Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 95. And it's at the beginning of the song. It's page 357 in the Psalter at the beginning. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Come, let us everyone a joyful noise make to the rock of our salvation. And remember that the rock we are here to worship today is Christ himself. Let us before his presence come with praise and thankful voice. Let us sing psalms to him with grace and make a joyful noise. Verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord.
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we sing these songs from your book of Scripture, we pray that we would ponder the truths that are contained within them. Our confession is there are days in life's experience when we don't feel like singing at all. But we pray that we would look around ourselves in this world that we find ourselves in and that we would realize that we are indeed a blessed people and we have many privileges that are denied to so many others. And may we listen to the words of the song because you are indeed our great creator. You created this vast universe. And for that reason alone, we ought to bow in worship. But there are other reasons we ought to bow this day. You have watched over us all our days. And you have given us many blessings. We pray that we would be thankful for each and every one of them. But there is the other reason. And that is that not only are you the creator and the sustainer of this universe, you are the redeemer of it. We find ourselves in a plight in this world, and we find the plight within us, born in sin and shapen in iniquity, and all the problems that go along with that. And we try in our foolishness to sort ourselves out, but we realize we cannot But the great glory of the gospel is we don't have to sort it out because we are here this day to worship the God who has sorted it himself. For this is the God who so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. O Lord our God, help us to believe these truths this day. And whatever way we may have come into this place of worship this day, some of us be draggled and wretched and overwhelmed by a sense of our own sin and vileness, may we remember this. It's sinners he came to seek and to save. May we never, ever lose sight of that. We give thanks for everyone here this day. We give thanks for every sound of little voices in our midst. Blessings they are, gifts from you. Bless the children born and unborn of this congregation. But bless each and every age group. We remember those who are failing in their latter years. Some who cannot come to this place of worship anymore. We pray that you would bless them where they are this day. We thank you for the means whereby they can join in in a limited kind of way. We pray for those in our midst who are mourning this day. And others who are sad because they are watching people they have loved dearly come to the last stages of life's journey. O Lord our God whilst we have our faculties about us and whilst we have a day of opportunity may we make absolutely sure that you are our saviour and you are our friend so be with us this day remember us not only here but remember our family circles wherever they might be across this world 
Our earnest prayer is that you will be merciful towards each and every one of us and that we will all be together in the great beyond because we have fled to Jesus as our Saviour. So we ask you to come in with us and we ask you to help us and we ask you to enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now it's lovely to see so many children here with us today and it's lovely to hear them as well. And for those of you who are parents who are feeling, well, it's my child that's making the noise, please don't think that for one second. No child has ever put me off in any shape or form uh, as we conduct worship in in this place. It's lovely to see you all. But I'm going to go back today to my own uh, young days, my own childhood. I was uh, born and bred on the west coast uh, on the farm that's at the head of the loch we know of as Loch Broom. Now many of you will know Loch Broom because Ullipal sits on the edge of Loch Broom and that's where you get the ferry that will take you over to Stornoway over to the western, western Isles. But the farm at the head of Loch Broom is called Inverbroom Farm and many years ago my grandfather not that I knew my grandfather he died shortly before I was born but um, he farmed there and my father and his brothers farmed there for some time uh, after he passed away but there was somebody on that farm and uh, most people knew him as the stalker now he was a gamekeeper on the farm Now, I don't even need to tell you what his right name was, but you know how it is in the West Coast in particular, and indeed probably around here, people get a by name. People get a name that's not their real official name, and everybody knows them by that name rather than their correct uh, official name. Now, he was known as the stalker, and as as I as a boy would be coming home from school, off the school bus, coming through the farmyard, sometimes he would be there in the larder, and he would have had guests out on the hill to shoot the deer, and he was now dealing with what you do with deer in a in a larder, getting them ready to be picked up by 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 somebody. But um, he was known by everybody as. Uh, as the stalker. He was very an interesting character. He's gone from this world now, but he came from the area around the mountains of Kintail, and one of his parents was Protestant, and one was Catholic, and uh, I think half the pro- family were brought up as Catholics, and half the family were brought up as Protestants, and uh, he was brought up as a Catholic, so he was a really keen Celtic supporter. And he kind of had us all brainwashed. There was no team except for Celtic in the world. Now, when I went off to Glasgow as a student, I lived near one of the big football parks in Glasgow called Hamden, and quite often Celtic and Rangers would meet at Hamden. And I just got so sick of what I was seeing that I decided I'm not having anything to do with Celtic anymore, and I moved on. But the point I want to make is this that um, he was known as the stalker simply because he was the gamekeeper. He was the stalker on the estate. Do you know, that's the exact same way it is with Jesus. 
He has many names, but one of the names he said he had was the way. And you might think, well, that's a very strange name. Why would anyone be called the way? And the reason why he was called the way is this. He's the only person who can get us into heaven to be with God. In other words, he's the way for us to get into heaven. If we don't trust in him, if we don't believe in him, we won't have our sins taken away. And if we still have our sins when we leave this world, we won't enter into heaven. But my hope and prayer is this, that we all trust in Jesus today, young and old. And if we do trust him, if we believe in him, if we've given him our sins, then he will take us to heaven to be with him forevermore. So there's Jesus. One of his names is the way. I hope he's the way for every single one of us here today. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise. And this time it's in Psalm number 51. And it's found on page 67 of the Psalter. Psalm 51, page 67 of the Psalter. O my God, have mercy on me. In your steadfast love I pray. In your infinite compassion my transgressions wipe away. And you know transgressions is another name for our sins. Cleanse me from iniquity, another name for sin. Wash my sin away from me. For I know my own transgressions, I can see my sinful plight. You, you only, I have offended and an evil in your sight. So your words are verified and your verdict justified. We'll sing verses 1 to 9 of Psalm 51. O oh my God, have mercy on me.
Now let's turn to the Gospel according to Luke and at chapter 7. We are hopefully going to have our last sermon today on the series on John the Baptist. We'll read at the beginning of chapter 7 of Luke. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had uh, been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterwards he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him spread through the whole of Judea, and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up from the poor of good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? 
a reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized at the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute to you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God. We realize that whilst you were with us, at least with the human race, on this planet around two millennia ago, there were astonishing things going on everywhere you went. And we thank you that we have the record of these things this day because we realize they are meant to stimulate questions in our minds. Who on earth are you? Where have you come from? What are you doing here? We see you dealing with all kinds of problems, but we see you dealing with the biggest problem of all, the one that scares the life out of us all. We see you mastering death itself. Not only mastering it in the widow of Nain's son, but mastering it in your own experience because you come triumphantly from a grave in Israel. And we are here this day because of an empty tomb. We live in a chaotic world. We live in a world full of pain and pangs and death. But we have hope in the midst of the darkness. You are our hope. You are our rock. And in the midst of the topsy-turvy world we live in, we pray you to bring down those who are in positions of power, whatever that power may be, who are abusing it and are pursuing an agenda of godlessness. And we pray that you would strengthen the arms of those who believe in you and who are struggling and getting a hard time simply because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord our God, Please have mercy upon us and please help us. 
And help us just now as we turn to your word, seeking afresh to explore it once again this day. Give us ears to hear what God the Lord will say. Because we know that to his people, he will speak peace. So may we know the peace of God as we interact with your word this day. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song. It's Psalm 51 and it's page 68. It's at verse 10. Lord, create a pure heart in me and a steadfast mind renew. Do not take your spirit from me. Cast me not away from you. Give me back the joy I had. Keep my willing spirit glad. We'll sing from verse 10 to the end of the song. Lord, create a pure heart in me.
Now let's turn for a few moments to the passage we've read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. And we'll read again at verse 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute to you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. As I said, we're going to wrap up our series on John the Baptist uh, today with this final uh, sermon. Let's remind ourselves what the context is. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He was prophesied hundreds of years earlier by Malachi the prophet that he would be there to tell the world that the long-awaited Messiah the long-awaited Saviour, the Christ, was actually here in their midst. And John knew these things by the revelation of the Spirit of God within him. And he was, for, he was a formidable preacher of, uh, of the good news of salvation by grace and by grace alone. And he could well say of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world. But John's earthly pilgrimage was not a pilgrimage without difficulties and problems. And he ran into problems with Herod, the king, and Herodias. And he ended up in a dark, damp, dingy dungeon. And it affected him. And it affected him badly. To the extent where he has got questions in his mind now, as to who Jesus really is. And he sends people to Jesus to ask him, are you the Christ, or should we look for another? I think we called it spiritual depression. John was in a dark place. And sadly that is the way it is on the earthly experience of many believers from time to time. That we get ourselves into dark areas and we suffer from spiritual depression and the assurance and the confidence that we once had is diminished and we have all kinds of questions in our minds and so John sends two of his disciples two of his followers to Jesus to ask him and Jesus tells him the blind are seeing the lame are walking lepers are cleansed even the dead are being raised to life Again, And that would have triggered in John's mind Old Testament prophecies regarding Jesus of Nazareth. And that would have assured him that he was indeed none other than the great Messiah. Now let's remember this. This little story here that we have in this area of scripture 
To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they there? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute to you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weeping. It's little children in the marketplace. That's the story. That's the parable. And they're, they're given a tune. And the tune is meant to be joyful. And it's meant to find a response with them. And they're meant to engage in some joyful activity. But they don't. They don't respond in the right way. They don't respond in the appropriate way. So they go to the other end of the spectrum. And they play them a dirge. And the dirge is meant to conjure up ideas of mournfulness and, uh, and, and sadness. So they get the dirge and again they are not responding in the appropriate kind of way. So it goes from one end of the spectrum to the very other end of the spectrum. But there's no appropriate and there's no fitting response to what they're being exposed to. And then that's tied in to the teachings and the preaching of John the Baptist and the teaching and the preaching of Jesus of Nazareth. Now please let's remember this. At the core of the message of John the Baptist you find the exact same teachings as you get in the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was simply the forerunner. But his message was this. It was a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. In other words, you want to get rid of your sins, you've got to repent. Now what does repent mean? There are three basic elements to repentance. And the first one is this. You recognize who you are and what you are. We've just been singing songs from God's word that are so into us being upfront and honest with ourselves and not only into us being upfront and honest with ourselves but being in uh, upfront and honest with God Psalm 51 was written by David after he'd committed uh, murder and adultery and he's coming before God he he spent a period on the run from God at least 9 months maybe longer and he did something that you and I are always doing. We do something wrong, we know it's wrong, but we don't want to admit it. And so we duck and dive and we run and we hide. But because David is a real believer and because the love of God is coming towards him, he's not going to get off with it. And ultimately he has to put his hands up and he has to come to God. And he's basically saying, I'm a sinner, I'm full of iniquity, I'm full of transgression. He uses all kinds of words to describe himself. But at the end of the day, he's been upfront and honest with himself and with God. I call Psalm 51 the psalm of personal pronouns. And I call it that simply because you've got no ducking and diving. It's my sin, it's my iniquity, it's my rebellion, it's my transgression. But see when people get to that stage where you're honest with yourself and you're honest with God and you listen to what God says to sinners, it's just like a balm to your soul. 
to realize I can be saved the way I am in the saturation of my own rebellion and sin he'll save me that way that is the gospel that is the glory of the gospel but I was telling you what repentance is the first thing about repentance is to recognize who we really are we're sinners but the next thing is this what we would call regret and what I mean by that is a sorrowful regret now here's a big difference there's a huge difference between a sorrowful regret for sin and remorse remorse is when you are sad about the consequences of your sin that's what remorse is things have caught up with me and the consequences are not nice and I'm remorseful and it's very easy when you're remorseful to become bitter as well that's not what regret that's involved in repentance is about the regret and the sorrow that's part of repentance is I'm not so much worried about the consequences it's the sin I have rebelled against God and I have had no right to rebel against God and the third element of repentance is this rejection I just want an end to sin now let me just qualify that we are all here this day who are, all who are Christians and there is a battle raging in your life and mine there is a battle in our souls every single day because there's one part of us that wants to honour God and get rid of sin and there's another part of us that just hangs on to sin and actually loves sin and that's the agony of the Christian's life but there you have it recognition of who we really are regret a sorrowful regret because we are who we are and a willingness I just want to get rid of it from my life that's what repentance is and John preached a message of repentance but let's remember this you can never have real repentance without its twin and its twin is faith and it's faith in whom? Is it faith in John the Baptist? Is it faith in the great Apostle Paul? Is it a faith in the great lawgiver Moses? No, it's ultimately faith in the only Redeemer of God's elect. Who's that? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what John was all about. Pointing to Jesus. He's the Saviour of sinners that was the core of his message that was the heart of his message and that was the heart of the message of Jesus of Nazareth as well do you remember what I said in my children's address today one of his names was I am the way and he's the only way we live in such a religious world religions all around us and people are in terrible bondage to religious systems trying to make themselves good enough to secure a good future for themselves and we've all done it we've all done this but we need to stop doing it because it's not going to get us anywhere and at the end of the day we don't need to do it because he saves us in our sins Whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Now let's remember that. 
Let's remember that that's at the heart of the message of Jesus. And at the time he said, I am the way, he also said, I'm the truth as well. You think, what on earth does that mean? Do you know the truth that's revealed in this book that God has given to us ultimately comes down to three basic elements. One is that God is holy. I think we know that. But the other is this, that humankind is sinful. I think we know that. But the glory of the message of this book is this. God reconciles each. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And yes, we have to believe. And yes, we have to repent. But at the end of the day, it's God who has done something about your plight and my plight. I mean, we're here today not because it's my idea. And ultimately not because it's your idea. But because it's God's idea. And what is God's idea? I am holy, you are not. But I'm going to bring you to myself. And you're going to share in who I am and what I am. And you're going to share in my glory throughout the endless ages of eternity. You know, we would never, ever, ever dare to make this stuff up. Because we would just think it's, that's far too presumptuous. That's far too presumptuous. We don't have to make it up. God has made it up. And not only has God made it up, God has done something about it. We are here this day because of the history of this planet we live on. There was a man who lived in Israel for 33 years and he even had the power to raise the dead. The widow of Nain's son was brought back to life again. You know at one of the clubs on Friday... We were talking about the Bible. Or was it in one of the school? It was when I was maybe in one of the classrooms or I was at the club. I can't actually remember now. But we were talking about the Bible. And he said, it's myth. And I said, no, it's not myth. It's not myth. It's history. It's history. And it is so important for us to differentiate in our mind what is myth and what is not. You go to ancient Babylon and you have a battle between a god and goddess. And the outcome of that battle is, or at least the leftovers of the goddess that's defeated. That's where you get this world from. That is myth. Nobody is saying that's history. And you go to the ancient classics, to Greek and to Rome, and you get all kinds of myths. And you know, sometimes when you're reading that, that, that mythology, well, at least I get so confused. There's this God, and there's that God, S, and there's this demigod, and, and it's so confusing. But at the end of the day, it's myth. This is not myth. This is not myth. This is presented as, as historic truth. And at the heart of the message of Jesus of Nazareth was this holy God, sinful people, I'm going to fix it. And then he said, not only am I the way, the truth is the life. We are surrounded this 
day in this world by death on every side. Now people don't want to go there. And I understand why people don't want to go there. They have enough problems as it is without an added one of morbidity and, 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 and death. But we are. We are surrounded by it. On every side. You know, there's some very, very sad cases coming out of America just now. The Tyrell Nichols case is, is sad to see that. That young man being beaten by police officers. Whatever went on, you know, it's important for us. It is very important for our justice system to operate and, and, and for all the truth to emerge. But it, but it doesn't look great. It doesn't look great. But there's another really sad case in America just now. It's a teenage girl. I think she's 17 or 18, and the name escapes me right now. But she obviously went out with a friend in Baton Rouge and went to a bar. And I don't know whether they got separated or not, but she ended up going into a vehicle with four young lads. And the end result was she, well, there, there has been an allegation that she was raped by some of these lads. And then put back to quite near the pub that they had been drinking in earlier on. And I don't know what happened, but she was knocked down by a car, an innocent driver, and she was killed. You know, when you read that kind of story, you just think, you know, that could be any of us. That could be any family at all. People go out and they take a drink and then there's the next one and, 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 and you get to the stage where you lose all kind of control. And you add that to a society that have pills being put in drinks and whatnot and you just get really nervous about young people around you. But you know, one of the things that really tugged the cords of my heart was there's a picture in the press of that young girl there are several pictures with our family, but there's one in particular with our two younger brothers. And it would just want to make you weep. Just to make you weep. But that's the kind of world we're in. And where do you find hope in that kind of world? You find it in the author of the resurrection of the widow of Nain's son. You find it in the Christ who masters and who conquers death himself. That's where you find it. And the message of John the Baptist was exactly the same as the message of Jesus of Nazareth. But how did they respond to these two different uh, people? Because they were very different. You know, John the Baptist, you know, some people think that he took the vow of the Nazarene. Now the vow of the Nazarene was where you you committed yourself in a specific way to God and you'd never cut your hair as a mark of this vow and you never drank strong wine and, and, and there are those who believe that John took the Nazarene now the vow of the Nazarene was only for a limited period of time normally for John if he, was a, if he took the vow of the Nazarene it was for the whole of his life now John the Baptist was it was foretold that he would come hundreds of years early in the Old Testament prophets. 
But not only was it foretold that John the Baptist would come, it was foretold that the prophet Elijah would come back to this world. That's why some people were saying to Jesus, Are you Elijah? They knew their Old Testament scriptures, and they're saying to him, Are you Elijah? And, and he's saying, No, I'm not Elijah. Now, he wasn't literally Elijah. But he came in the same spirit of Elijah. And Jesus himself tells us that in the Gospels. That he is the fulfillment of that prophecy that Elijah would come back to this world. Now Elijah dressed in a certain way. And John the Baptist emulated the way he dressed. He was there with camel hair and a leather girdle. And what did he eat? He ate locusts and wild honey. And you think now, what is the significance of that? Well, it was the very low in society that would go and eat locusts because they had nothing else to eat. And there is debate as to what kind of locust, what what that word actually meant. But it looks as if it is the locust that we would understand in, in our English language. And if you go back to the Old Testament, it was permissible under the clean and unclean laws to, to, to eat locusts and wild honey. Now wild honey, well you just found it in the hollow of a tree or whatever the bees had had made it. In other words, John the Baptist, he wasn't used to luxury. He wasn't used to finery. Some people say there was an austerity about him, but I don't want to use the word austerity. But there were certainly indications of, 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 of poverty. So there he was. The way he dressed, the way he ate, and he's preaching this this message. But what do they say about John the Baptist? John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he's got a demon. Okay, that's your conclusion on John the Baptist. Here is the Son of God. Here is Jesus also known of as the Son of Man. And he's come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus did mingle. Jesus did eat in what we would think a normal kind of of way, and he he didn't drink with others. In other words, he wasn't afraid to rub shoulders with the fallen of this world, and even those who were categorized as the worst of the fallen of this world, the tax collectors and sinners. But what have they got to say of this Jesus who does this? Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus was not a glutton, and Jesus was not a drunkard. But you've got this approach of John the Baptist and you've got this approach of Jesus of Nazareth and although they're preaching the exact same message their approaches are very, very different. But there are people in that society who have written them both off. And you think, why? Why would they do that? When the message is so amazing and the message is so wonderful and the message is so glorious simply because they are so hardened in the hardness and the austerity of their own sin that that's what they're going to do with both these men. And that indeed 
is what they have done. They've written them both off. So where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us with this. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Now I want to say just a little bit about wisdom. And then I want to use other words from other versions of this word justified because I think in one version it's wisdom is vindicated and I think in the New International Version it says that wisdom is proven or proved right by all our children. What on earth does this all mean? Well, in a sermon recently here, we spoke about two different wisdoms that present themselves in the Word of God. One is the wisdom of God. And the other is the wisdom of man. And these two are on a trajectory of collision. They will never agree. They will never agree. The wisdom of man is this. I'll sort myself out in some kind of way or another. And if there's a God in heaven, I'll make myself good enough for myself to save myself. That's the wisdom of man. The wisdom of God is this. I'm a holy God. They are sinners. I can't abide sin. There must be resolution to this equation. And his way of dealing with it is by substitution. We call it substitutionary atonement. Remember what that word atonement, at one meant. God and man at one. How come? Because Jesus of Nazareth stands in the stead of sinners. That's God's idea. That's God's wisdom. And at the end of the day, we accept that wisdom or we reject it. Or to put it another way, we have the choice of the wisdom of God or the wisdom of this world. And we have all chosen one of those wisdoms. But wisdom is proven right by her children. And I think that's a reference to the wisdom of God. Because those who believe in God are the children of God. And they are proven right or they are justified or they are or at least this wisdom is proven right or justified or vindicated whichever word you use by her children what on earth does that mean it means simply this for those that have fallen in with the wisdom of God you can see it in their lives you can see it in their lives And you can even see it in their death as well. You know, I go to the deathbed of various people. And uh, you can tell those that have fallen in with the wisdom of God. Wisdom is proven right by her children. You can see it. There are marks there. And the great challenge for us as we finish this series on John the Baptist is this is to remind ourselves that their message was essentially the same. That their message is full of the wisdom of God. 
And we all have fallen in with it. Or I guess fallen out with it. You know, at the end of the day, who are going to be saved and who are not, you know, God knows that. And sometimes we are guessing. You know, I spoke about that person. I never identified him in the children's address today. But um, I, I, I lost touch with him for many, many years. But when I discovered he was dying, I went to Rigmore Hospital there. And I went in, he was in a single room. And he never opened his mouth. He started weeping and weeping profusely. And you know the exact same thing happened with a sergeant of mine many years ago. And this man was, I wouldn't say he was hardened. I don't want to use that word. But he he was experienced. He once dealt with an incident in which five teenagers had been killed. So he knew what he was about. But again I heard he was dying and I went to see him over there in Rigmore again he was in a room on his own and I went in the door and there wasn't a word said but there were floods and floods of tears at the end of the day some people you just know they are safe in the arms of Jesus and others well, you're just not sure. You have to leave it with between them and God. And then there are others who seem just so hard to the whole thing. It's as if they're not aware. You're just about to go over the edge. But it's as if nothing is happening. And that is all very, very confusing. But I'll tell you what, where there are many tears being shed. Well, I certainly... That's better than no reaction at all, I think. But at the end of the day, we make guesses. God knows the beginning to the end of every matter. God knows he's given us his wisdom. And I guess it's up to you and I how we're going to be responding. But my hope and prayer is this, that we have fallen in with the wisdom of God. Because the wisdom of God is Christ. May God grant that we are all safe in the arms of Jesus today. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you that you have blessed us with many blessings and we are sorrowful about our response to you. But we thank you this day afresh that the glory of the gospel is that you've come to save sinners. And we thank you for that. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise. In Psalm 117, it's on page 397 of uh, the Psalter. It's at the beginning of the song. Oh, give ye praise unto the Lord, all nations that be. Likewise, ye people, all accord his name to magnify. For great to us, whatever are his loving kindnesses, his truth endures forevermore. 
the Lord, O oh, do ye bless. We'll sing this song to God's praise. O oh, give ye praise unto the Lord. and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one both 